Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us as we read these scriptures together. Bring your understanding and reveal your truth. Let us open our minds, hearts, and souls to all that these words of life offer us. We long to be continually challenged, transformed, and renewed by your word. May we hear your voice of life as we read and draw close to you. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Hear these words. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today is uh, often referred to as Ascension Sunday. Uh, the Sunday before uh, Pentecost, uh, the Sunday before uh, the believers uh, receive that kind of powerful wind and tongues of flame and are able to speak in tongues. Ascension, I don't know, it might not get uh, the best marketing and publicity compared to Pentecost. There's, you know, there's no tongues of flame. There's, there's one guy and he goes up in a cloud, uh, but everybody's kind of sitting around wondering and staring. So I want to have a little conversation about how it is to be um, ascension-minded disciples. When I was growing up, uh, we would often take vacation by uh, piling into the family car and heading off across the state um, to see relatives. We lived in Florida for most of my childhood, and so often we would travel up to Jasper, Alabama to see my grandparents. And, you know, um, I have to say, some of you have recognized this, that I have a hard time sitting still. And so in the family car, there was uh, a spot for me and a spot for my sister, and uh, much like Matt was describing, mom and dad sat up front. And I was good for about 30 minutes. It was fun to watch things go by. But after a while, I, I wanted to play a game. I wanted to interact. So the license plate game worked for a little while. You've done that one before, right? You find the letter of the alphabet in the license plates. And then the, uh, license plate, or the license plate game turned into the, the sign game where you could find the alphabet and the signs. And it was interesting because after a while I kept coming up with new ways to find the alphabet all throughout the car and outside of it. And it never failed that eventually my dad would suggest that I play the silent game. <laughs> Apparently you're familiar with my father and my childhood. Or maybe you have a child in your life who could really benefit from playing the silent game. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the silent game, it's very simple. Everyone stays quiet in the car 
and the first one to make a noise loses, right? It's, it's a lot like golf, right? If, you know, or, yeah, something like that. Anyways, um, I'd like to say that I've never actually won the silent game. Now, my family was quite good at it. There were moments when I would suggest a new game after the silent game. My favorite was I'm Not Touching You. Are you familiar with that one? It takes great hand-eye coordination uh, to kind of keep your finger just close to someone, but not on them. I am not touching you, I am not touching you, I am not touching you. That usually ended with some form of enforced silent game, which there was no winning or losing that one. It's kind of like we'd all lost. Um, so, you know, using this kind of ideas around, we are hardwired to do things. We're hardwired to be in action and to be uh, working hard. I, you know, my 46th birthday was yesterday. A number of people asked me, how was it? And I said, it was low key, just like I like it. You know, I may be the youngest old AARP person in the room, right? What did I do in the afternoon? I took a nap and it was wonderful, right? I know you're thinking, really? That's all you did for your birthday? Anyways, it was low key. But, but we tend to be wired for big excitement, for doing lots of things, for checking things off the list, for accomplishing things, right? We even describe it in terms of our life uh, goals, right? What is on your bucket list, right? No one ever says on my bucket list is to meditate more. Uh, we often have places that we want to go, things that we want to do. When we look at our scripture passage for today, it is a story about Jesus ascending into heaven. Now, Acts is also the same author of Acts as the author of Luke. And so scholars often push those two together and call it Luke-Acts. And so there's a nice connection between what happens in Luke all the way into the actions of Acts. And Luke's gospel is very much about setting people free, very much about liberation and about speaking uh, kind of God's uh, grace and love in a liberating way. And so it's interesting that at the beginning of Acts, we get a question from the disciples at the beginning of our passage. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, you're familiar with Judas and um, that kind of strange experience uh, right before Jesus was arrested. Uh, this idea that Judas thought he could push Jesus' hand, that, that what Judas was hoping for was a military leader, a political leader who was going to establish God's kingdom here on earth. But that wasn't necessarily in the cards. Uh, in the beginning of our passage, you have Jesus replying, saying it's not for us to know the time or the date, but if you will, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, it's interesting to kind of review uh, what have we uh, seen uh, Jesus and the disciples do throughout Luke. Well, I mean, you don't have to read deeply into the Bible to know that the Gospels are filled with many activities. Some of those activities are miracles. People who are blind are given sight. People who have leprosy are made clean. There are even, uh, throughout the Gospels, some stories about people who are dead being raised to life, uh, Lazarus being one of them. 
There are also stories of Jesus feeding, feeding the 5,000, about Jesus providing uh, for those around him. We also have stories of Jesus teaching, teaching us how to pray, teaching us how to love children, teaching us how to serve our neighbor, often through stories and often through parables. If we wanted to wonder what the last three years had been like for the disciples with Jesus, yes, there were times of pause and meditation, but there was more times of activity, of witnessing the miracles, of listening to the teachings, and uh, uh, to being present for the feedings. Is it fair to say that you would agree with me that the disciples were not spectators during those three years? If anything, they were participants. They were in the middle of the action. As we look at the ascension, I think it is ironic and interesting that two men in white robes show up just as Jesus is headed off into the clouds. And they say to the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, let's be honest here. The two men are probably angelic presences, and they are looking at the disciples. This is essentially Jesus's master class of students. And the two angels say, get on with it. Why are you staring up into heaven? What, what do you think is going to happen? Fireworks? Right? There's this kind of encouragement for them to do something but as we listen to what they're told to do, Jesus says earlier, um, wait, uh, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There are other passages in the Gospels that say, wait in Jerusalem until God sends power. Wait, wait is a fascinating word, not unlike the silent game, not unlike the alphabet game. The disciples are told to wait. Now, what, what might we do when we're waiting? Uh, I mean, if we are the disciples in this story, you know, we're ready to go. I, the disciples have spent 50 days, five zero days, with the resurrected Jesus. Now, not all the stories that happened during that time are told uh, in the Gospels, but we get the idea that Jesus wasn't sitting back in the man cave watching football. <laughs> Jesus was active then. That we can assume that the things Jesus did prior to the resurrection are the things that Jesus is doing after the resurrection. And so in this chocked full activity opportunity of bringing about the kingdom, what were the, what were the disciples hoping for? What were they going to do next? What are we going to do next? It's kind of like someone lining you up for the race and saying, on your marks, get set, wait. It's kind of anticlimactic, wouldn't you say? We're all geared up, we're ready to go. We've seen the resurrected Christ be uh, ascended into heaven. Now let's go make it happen. It sounds like a great like halftime locker room speech opportunity. But instead of head on out there and do something, it's wait. Now the waiting that you do is important, the kind of waiting that we do, in the same way that the two angelic presences say to the disciples, why are you just looking up into heaven? It's not a spectator sport at all. While we're waiting to receive power, there are easy things that we should be doing. 
when waiting uh, to receive power, it is good to read the Bible. I am surprised these days how much biblical literacy has declined. Now, I'm not saying that you have to uh, memorize all of the begats. You don't have to memorize all of the uh, laws uh, in Deuteronomy. But it'd be great if we knew the stories of our faith. That when we say we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it'd be helpful if we knew the stories, how God was present to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, when we talk about those stories that we first heard about in Vacation Bible School, the, the flannel board, if you will, Jonah, uh, the flannel board, Ruth and Naomi, what are the stories that make the, those um, people uh, so present in our memory of faith? It'd also be helpful if, uh, when learning about the Gospels, that we understand more about what Jesus came to do, what he did, uh, how people reacted, why they reacted, and how those teachings uh, that Jesus gives in the Gospels are authoritative in our lives even today. Now, I know that's a really difficult word, authoritative, because we don't really like to give anyone authority over our lives. But sometimes we have no idea what the Bible actually says about our lives. And so reading the Bible is a great way to get you know, on your marks, get set, wait. I'd encourage you this summer, um, pick uh, an easy place to read. You could read along with us in Acts. Uh, it's a story about stories about faithful Christians in the midst of interesting moments. The second way that I think we could uh, wait in a good way, not like a spectator, but getting ready for the, the power that God's going to give, is by finding mentors and being, uh, being kind of coached and shepherded. Being willing to submit ourselves to others, be willing to ask for what we need. Um, some of you are thinking, where in the world am I gonna get a coach or a mentor? I'm not sure if I really want that. Sometimes reading a good book, the author can become a mentor for us. At the end of the summer, as a church, we're going to be reading Henry Nouwen's In the Name of Jesus. And I think if you wanted to start early, it is the shortest book ever. Um, we, we picked it because of my attention span. Um, <laughs> but what a great book to begin uh, reading. I read In the Name of Jesus every year uh, of annual conference. Uh, there are three days to annual conference, and there are three chapters to In the Name of Jesus. The three chapters are really easy, and they are strikingly um, um, poignant uh, for annual conference. The first chapter is from relevance to prayer, deciding that it's far more important to be connected with Jesus through prayer than to be relevant among your colleagues. Reading this during annual conference, the second chapter is from popularity to ministry. That the place where the action happens is when we serve others, not when we get other people to vote for us. The third chapter that I read during annual conference is moving from leading to being led. That a leader isn't worth his or her salt unless they're willing to follow the one who leads. Uh, in the name of Jesus is a great way to be mentored. It's a great way to wait. It's a great way to sit until the Holy Spirit comes with power. And then lastly, I'd encourage you around prayer and worship. Um, for, for some of you, this has been a great morning. You have seen more children up here than we've ever seen, right? You have um, had to sit closer to people than you've ever had to sit. 
and it feels as if there's something vital and alive in this room. It's true, it's nice to be um, in a room that's more full than it is empty. But it's also true to say that there has been a power, a vital power in this place for decades. Whether there are people present or not present, whether we're we're relevant, whether we're popular, um, it's the presence of Jesus that makes a difference in this room. Being at prayer and worship can make a difference in our lives. As we find a way to connect with Jesus, um, either individually through prayer or corporately through worship, I do believe that discipleship is a journey to the heart of God. And I want to encourage you to be careful. Uh, Please do not be like me when I was a kid uh, by trying to play the I'm not touching you game. There is something that impulsive activity cannot gain us. If you think back to the night in the garden when Jesus was going to be arrested, um, there was a particular disciple who'd brought brought his sword with him, and he was darn tootin' going to make sure that Jesus didn't get arrested. Do you remember who that was? He cut off the ear of a guard. I I believe that was Peter. No relation. (laughs) But notice, right? Peter had been waiting, waiting, waiting. And so taking the issue into his own hands, he decided to act impulsively to advance the cause of Christ. But it was the opposite direction. Be careful when you're playing that waiting game, when you're finding inspiration through scripture, when you're being mentored towards good action, when you find yourself in the midst of worship surrounded by believers, be careful that you don't take that impulsive action on your own that might divide the room, that might do violence to the community, that might set others back a few steps from their calling. I think it's powerful when we realize that waiting can make a difference, a difference in our lives, a a difference in our discipleship. You know, I think back to Tropical Storm Allison. It's interesting, I'm born on the first day of the hurricane season, June 1st, right? And and do you you know something that's quite funny is Amy, my wife, her birthday's on November 30th, the last day of hurricane season. (laughs) Just, you know, just laying that out there. Anyways, so Tropical Storm Alice and I was in Bel Air. And I remember, oh my goodness, what will we do? There is more water than we know what to do with. Well, part of being prepared, part of being ready is that um, months before then, we had trained as a Red Cross shelter at Bel Air United Methodist Church. Now, the Red Cross people told us that it's going to have to be the most unique thing ever if we ever activate you as a Red Cross shelter because you're so close to the coast. We would do something north of Houston or over by San Antonio, but I guess nobody was prepared for Tropical Storm Allison. And so we had it all set up, and actually the phone lines were out, and no one actually called us. I remember listening to the radio, and they were listing off Red Cross shelters, and they listed off our church. You see, we were waiting. We were waiting. You could have said that it was a drought period, or you could have said that it was a dry period, or we were unsure what God was going to do with us, but we had waited in such a way that we were prepared for what might happen next. And by being prepared, when God needed us, we were activated. When God needed us, we were there and present. 
I remember standing out in the parking lot at Bel Air United Methodist Church. People were lined up all the way down Holcomb. Uh, they were coming to bring us stuff because we had a shelter. And my SPR chair came out there and said, well, because I was just out of Duke by about two years, said, uh, well, I guess when you were in the hallowed halls of Duke University, you didn't expect you'd be working a car line during a hurricane. And I told him, no, sir, I really dreamed while I was at Duke that when I got into ministry, I'd make a real difference in other people's lives. And this feels like a real difference. And so friends, on Ascension Sunday, it, it may feel like you're stuck playing the alphabet game. You may still be doing a thumb war with the person who says that you're in their pew. But remember in the moment to be prepared to wait, to wait for power from on high and while waiting, spend your time Bible reading, seeking out a mentor, and coming to worship. Because sometimes God's people are at their best when we're ready for what's next. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.